I think I'm going to start a little different. We're in 2 Kings, but I want to start in 1 Kings 19. When we ended last week, Elijah had gone up in the whirlwind. And as he left, he dropped his mantle. And I want to look, start by looking at that. So 1 Kings 19... First Kings nineteen nineteen. If we remember, in the context of this, is uh, Elijah had been fearing for his life. Jezebel said she was going to kill him, and uh, he, he went way down south in South Israel. Went and went to um, Mount Sinai. It calls it Mount Horeb here. It's the same place. Uh, he goes up in a cave there, and finally the Lord shows Himself to him, and then he, he gives him some marching orders. He tells him to do a few things. One of those things he tells him to do is go and anoint his successor, the one who's going to come after him. And that's what we're picking up at verse nineteen. So. First uh, Kings 19, verse 19 says, And so he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of uh, Saphat, who was plowing with twelve uh, yoke of oxen before him, and he was with uh, the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah, and he said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee. And he returned back from him, and he took a yoke of oxen, and he slew them, and he boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen, and he gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So this is what he calls him, and he's like his apprentice in, a, in essence here at this point in time. But he calls him by going by and taking his mantle, which is um, like a cloak, uh, something that he wore, and he uh, threw it on top of him. Now this mantle, it symbolized his authority with God, it was kind of, you know, you would say, oh, that looks like a prophet. Uh, you could find there's a verse in Zechariah that talks about God's prophets no longer put on this mantle. You know, it was kind of an outward show that they were that. It was kind of just the part. Uh, that It also was a kind of a symbol that God had clothed them and that God was empowering them. And so it's like an outward visual thing that you could look at and see. Um, I was trying to think of anything today, you know. Light, light stretch would be like when I put on my suit coat and my tie for Sunday morning. It just kind of separates me, puts me a little bit different when I'm there for Sunday morning. So it's in essence that, but he, they would wear it all the time. Uh, Moses had a rod. He didn't have necessarily um, a mantle, but he had a rod that might be kind of used in that, in that same way. So he throws it on him, and then um, <clears throat> I remember covering this before, but thinking about it some more. You can also see the commitment of Elisha. You know, he's not some Johnny-come-lately. Um, he does ask to go back and tell his mom and dad bye. Who wouldn't? You know, we know in the New Testament, you know, Christ says some, some different things along that line if your brain's connecting those. But he's, he's calling him to a life, and he, he leaves and goes after it. Yeah. I just want for something to get the 12 oxen. Usually, yeah, 12 stands for the children. We're going to look at 12 later, so... <clears throat> If, if there, I don't know, but I think you might be onto something because, yeah, if those are those little things that if it hits you, there's probably something if we dig a little bit further. Twelve yoke is probably more like 24. Yeah, I, I know that it, may, it kind of shows us his status and that this would be like a dually John Deere cab tractor, you know, pulling across with the big, that he has wealth. <clears throat> and with that being said, you know, as you point out, it shows his commitment. Because what's he do? He, he sacrifices him, and he burns all the instrument that he's using. He's basically, I'm not a farmer anymore. I'm helping you. Um, is it Cortez? 
who sails over and he was supposed to establish a colony here in the Americas or South America, I can't remember. But gets over and there was dissension. You know, people started to be like, oh, I don't like it here, let's go back. And then they just weren't uniting together, so he's like, burn the ships. When they had no option to go back, they all got along. And they got the business done. Because <laughs> he's like, burning the ships, it was a commitment. You know, it's like, no, we're here, you got to make it work. Um, that's commitment. And, and so this is basically what he's doing. He's like, I just got rid of what I had invested in farming. And, uh, yeah, I'm with you now. And he goes after him. And, and we'll see another term later, probably not this week, but maybe next week. But it says he ministered unto him. Uh, and it talks about, like, pouring water on his hand. He's like his servant for a little while. Like I said, he's this uh, helper, observing, watching, you know, and studying uh, with the master here. And so and God picks him out. It wasn't like he just went by and threw his cloak randomly. You know, he, God tells him, go anoint this guy. And so he's committed and he follows him. So go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 2. So there we see Elisha using his mantle. And again, he's kind of symbolically passing it on top of Elisha. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. And it came to pass, as they, uh, they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. We talked about that's a little bit different than the artists always draw it. You know, it's like the, the chariot separates the two of them. The whirlwind is what actually takes Elijah up. Uh, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my, my father, the chariot of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes, and he rent them in two pieces. And he took up um, also the mantle of Elijah that fell uh, from him, and he went back, and he stood by the bank of, Jor- or the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he smote the waters, and he said, Where is the Lord God of, uh, where, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had... Uh, and when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elijah went over. So we'll stop there. So the mantle falls down and passes on to Elijah. So I've often seen that. I'm thinking flannel graph here. You know, they would have it, and there'd be a little red mantle that they would drop down, and it, was, and it would be there on him. So I'm not sure what color it was. But, um, so the mantle, this, this, the clothing you know, that God's going to be dealing with this man passes on to Elisha. And so we're going to, we have that transition here. Um, I went to a Jewish site that was talking about it and said that the mantle had no leather in it because I always kind of picture it like, you know, I skinned a lamb and <laughs> put it on him. But it's, it's, it's kind of more hair. It's either uh, camel hair, I guess it was preferably, that they would take that hair and they weave it together and they made a woven cloth out of it. Uh, and so it's that. They said it had no leather. You know, it was just the woven hair. So I don't know how to picture that. So I don't know if it's like a garment or fabric. Um, but... Uh, uh, the mantle, in this word here, it also kind of means glory or honor. So it's like not only the, the, the mantle physical, but the glory and the honor that came with it passes on to him too. In verse 14, you hear him asking pretty much if God is with him. He says, where is the Lord? Right in the middle. Where's the, where's the, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And then he takes that mantle and he hits the water with it. And the, the mantle's not doing anything. It's, the, it's just the outward sign. It's God. It, it, it's God who is doing this. And so he's just asking, where, where are you? Are you with me? And the water's parted. So he knows that the Lord is with him. Can you imagine that? You know, knowing that the Lord is with you. Um, and he's with him his whole ministry. You know, he, he, he walks with him. And talk, you know, he, he's there. He, he's in a close association with him. It makes him a powerful guy. This guy asks for a double portion of God's spirit. Remember, because when he goes up, he goes, oh, this is going to be my last day. Anything you want to know? And he's like, anything you want to ask of me? He says, give me a double portion of what you had. And Elijah's like, that's a pretty hard thing to ask. But 
If you see me go up, if God lets you see me go up, then that means it's going to come true. So he did, verse 12, it says, and Elijah saw it. You know, he saw him go up in the whirlwind. He saw him go up and, and fly up in that way and sees the mantle, goes over and grabs it. Um, Elijah did seven miracles. He stopped the rain. He fed the widow. He brought the widow's son back to life. Called down fire from Mount Carmel. Restored the rain after the drought. Uh, brought down fire on the soldiers that we ended with last week. And then he parts the Jordan here as he gets ready to leave. Elijah is going to have 14 miracles that he's going to perform. So he does get that double portion, and it's kind of neat that that's in the text. It doesn't go by and like say, and number one, you know, he parts the Jordan, but you've got to kind of pay attention as you go through, and you'll see that he does get this double portion. So day one, here it is. He just picks up the, the mantle. He's seen Elijah, Elijah go up in the fiery chariot of God, and he's walking back to these guys he's left on the other side of the bank of Jordan. He asks if God's with him, and he takes the mantle, and he hits the water, and it parts. And God shows him that he's with him. God tells him. And he has a visible display. He has action that proves it. And he walks across on dry ground. Uh, think about that. God is with him. And God is telling him he is with him. That makes him pretty much unstoppable. You would think, you know, if God's for you, who could be against you? Look at Romans 8.31. That's probably why I'm quoting without even meaning to quote. Romans 8. Romans 8.31 is Paul. And he says this, he says, Romans 8.31, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question, right? Because the answer is no one. No one can be against you. No one can stop us. No one, no one can get in our way. Nothing can hinder us. If God's for you, if God's on your side, if you're doing God's will, if you're doing what he wants, he's like, go. It's going to be fruitful. It's going to, be, it's going to bring forth produce. Um, and we could look at that a hundred different ways. And here he shows him by parting the Jordan to show that he's with Elisha. I'm thinking, what has he done for us? What's he do for you? What, what has he done for you? What has he done for me? I can tell you. Verse 32, because Paul tells you, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us, all, how shall uh, he not... Uh, uh, and how shall he not with him also freely give all things? He says, uh, he didn't spare his son. He gave his all. He, he provided a way of salvation through you, through his son, Jesus Christ, dying in your place. That's what he's done for you to show that he's with you. I gave my son so that we can have this relationship together so that you can repent and trust in me. Uh, and he says there that we can have all things. That mean cars and boats and houses and money. Uh, no, because there's a verse in Timothy. It's Timothy, I think, 3.15. It says, there's those that's going to preach that gain is godliness. And he says, withdraw yourself from that. Uh, turn off TBN. You've got to read that verse in light of everything back from, what, verse 18? Or, yeah, 18. I thought the chain of grace. That's what leads up to it. <laughs> Talking about the future glory and, and how it may be a struggle now, but that's not... That's not what he's really got in plans for. Yeah. This is, this is the, the shadow lands, the real world's coming, and he talks about the predestination. you got the chain of grace in there that you are here, and he's showing it to you. We have the Spirit teaching you. And he's trying to build this confidence with us. I see this as the rally cry. I see it with his face painted blue when he's on horseback, running down the length of us, telling us, you know, stirring us up in this way, like, oh, come on, troops. And that's the way I read this. That's what I've got written and drawn a picture out to the side. I, speaking of camp, I can remember taking, I think it was fifth or sixth graders, and then a, a 
No. Yeah, I think it was around then. And I was teaching something along those lines. And, and I was reading this, and I was trying to read it with the passion that was in there, with the whatever else I'd been teaching, and looking at seeing these fifth and sixth grade kids and their eyes this big with a, let's go, you know, kind of a, yeah. And I'm like, that's how it should be. And, and have their attention, you know, that, that uh, they're away from the video games or anything else to, to, to give them that. And I pray for those kids and hope that they're still fighting on and, and, uh, and, and, and staying by the stuff. You know, so that other stuff is all trivial, you know, all the earthly things. He's wanting us to work for him. Verse 33 says, Who shall lay anything to their charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. You know, it's like, he's like, I'm going to defend you. We have an advocate. We can look at all those verses. Uh, who is he that, verse, that condemneth? Verse 34. Is it Christ that died? Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. So there it tells us he's our defender. You know, he's our paraclete. He's our advocate that we've seen in 1 John. Verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distresses, or persecutions, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? And, and Paul experienced all these. He goes, none of that separated. If anything, it drove him closer, made him look forward to going home to be with the Lord. He said, none of those things did that. Tribulation for the Lord's sake, saying it's not worthy. You know, Paul you know, thinks about the things that he did. Distresses, he had those. Persecution, he had those. Famine, he went without food and shipwrecked and everything else. And peril and sword, he was threatened all the time. So he, he had the life that backed this up. He says, as it is written, for thy sake... Are we killed all the day long, and we are counted sheep for the slaughter? Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors than him that loved us. He says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor principalities, those rulers we talked about Sunday night, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. He's like, nothing's going to separate you. Nothing's going to take it away. He is telling you pretty much, you have an impenetrable helmet of salvation. This breastplate of righteousness is not going to get through. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Though they slay you, yet shall you live. To live is Christ, to die is gain. It's like, here's nothing. What can they do? You know, they take us home. And so he's like, let's stand up for him. And Paul did that. And he's encouraging us to do this. Elijah has that kind of impact behind him through this act of with the man. Um, so he has God with him now so he has the mantle he, he's gone to the Jordan he's hid it and he's asked if the Lord's with him you know, where's, the God of Jordan, uh, where's the God of Elijah and it parts and this part's not in the Bible but like I said I got some of this from a, a, a Jewish history and Jewish tradition it said that uh, you know so we've seen Elisha pass the mantle on to Elijah pass the mantle on to Elisha and at the end of Elisha's life there was no prophet worthy of the mantle and so, you know, this thing has, has uh, you know, it's an important Jewish historical artifact. You know, it would be Liberty Bell, Declaration of Independence. You know, it's, it's something that has association with them, let alone has association with the Lord. And so they took the mantle by their tradition. They folded it up and they put it in the altar of incense because it had a stand on it as it stood in front of the Holy of Holies. And so their tradition is, is that they took it and they put it on this stand in front of the Holy of Holies uh, in the temple. So years go by. Get to Malachi. We just went through Malachi before we started John. So the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Chapter 4, the last chapter of the Old Testament. Verse 5, the next to the last verse of the Old Testament. Malachi tells it, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming and great and dreadful day of the Lord. He says, 
Here's the promise. As they close the Old Testament, Elijah's going to come. There's going to be um, a prophet like Elijah. There's going to be one who's going to come before the Messiah and and, and prepare. matter of fact, look at chapter 3. Verse 1, so Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, um, before me. and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of his covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, this one who's going to come, who's going to help turn the heart of the children towards the fathers, and the father's heart towards the children. He's going to bring that back. You know, uh, uh, we need that today. And, but so he, he's, he's going to do all this. Look at Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, verse 5, like I said, years go by, some 400 and some years from Malachi. <clears throat> Heaven's been quiet. Things have been going on, as been told in Scripture from Daniel 9 and other things. As uh, Gentiles take over, as Rome comes in, and things get worse and worse. And they cry out for their deliverer to come. And Luke 1, verse 5 says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Arabah. His wife also was the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because of Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, Again, David had drawn up this course, you know, who would serve, where they would serve, what they would do. And so the priestly duties could be everything from, you know, probably sweeping the floors to uh, uh, scooping the ashes to offering the sacrifice to being the one who, you know, as, as it came all around. And so you, you never knew what it was going to be. And so his course would come around at this point in time where he can go into the, the holy place, which not all of them did because you're a priest. It didn't mean you ran in there. You didn't go in willy-nilly, you know, to go in that way. And we know that the high priest only went to the holiest of holies. But he gets to go in there. And it says, and according to the custom, verse 9 of the priest's office, his lot, so he drew a lot for this, and we've seen in uh, Proverbs that the, the lot is cast in the lap of the Lord. You know, he, basically, he's the one who decides these things. Uh, his lot was to burn incense when he went to the temple of the Lord. So he's at the altar of incense, standing in front of the Holy of Holies, <clears throat> where Elijah's mantle's underneath it, if the Jewish tradition is right. Like I said, I'm adding this for color. Now, verse 10 says, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. There appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right hand of the altar of incense, and Zechariah saw him and was troubled, and fear fell upon him, as you can imagine, verse 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and for thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. Thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother mother's womb. And so he Uh, Great news, verse 16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient and the wisdom to the just and to make ready a people uh, prepared for the Lord. So he's going there to go out like Elijah. He's going to be the answer to the verse that we saw in Malachi that we studied in depth when we went through there. So it is thought... That as Zechariah was there, and Gabriel is giving him this news, and he's telling about his son, and his son is going to be in the spirit of power of Elijah. That's not recorded that he said anything or did anything, but that maybe he kind of went like, take that with you. You know, pointed to the mantle to take back with him so that when he gets older, he would literally put on the mantle of Elijah and stand there in the spirit and the power of Elijah and Elisha with this mantle on him. In Matthew chapter 3, if you look. (coughs) 
Matthew 3 and verse 1, it describes him for us. Matthew 3 verse 1 says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And the same John had his raiment of camel's hair. Camel's hair, not a leather lamb skin, so a woven camel's hair garment like Elijah's mantle was, and a leathern girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. So he lives as a man out there. He lives, he has the dress and the rough hair and all that stuff as a prophet. And where he's preaching at, he's, he's preaching on Jordan's banks. <clears throat> he doesn't go into the city. He's not running. He's out 20-some miles away. Uh, he's right at the spot where Moses crossed over and stacked up 12 stones after they crossed over on dry land, and he set up a memorial. Right where Elijah had hit the water with his mantle where, uh, so that he and Elisha could cross. Right where Elisha has hit the water where he could go across. It's called the Transjordan area. He's, he's right there. He's, he's at the very same spot. And first John 1, or John 1 tells us that they send an investigative team out because, you know, who's he? And you're like, are you Elisha? Are you doing this? Why are you here? And they, they quiz him and he has all these things and he has power and he has no regard for them. And he tells them, calls them out and talks about uh, the lamb who was coming, who, you know, who's uh, slain before the foundation of the world, who's latchet of his shoe he's not worthy to unloose. Um, Matthew 3, look at verse 9. He says, and think not what to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children of Abraham. I think he's literally pointing to the stones that Moses had had sta- taken and stacked over as a memorial to show where they had crossed over. So he's there in the same area. And so many think that that is, you know, that, that he did have that mantle, that it did go on there. Uh, we have no biblical proof other than the few elements that I showed you here. Uh, just add that for a little bit of color and how this mantle transgresses on down or passes all through. But the similarities between him and Moses and Elijah go on, or between especially Elijah and Moses. I want to look at some of those. If you go back to 2 Kings chapter 2. Second Kings 2 and verse 15, it says, And when the... That's where I'm at. Ah. Now, verse 14. It says, And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell on him, smote the waters, and he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elijah went over. And then there's these other prophets waiting on the other side. We'll get to in just a minute. So, but um, some comparisons between him and and Moses. Um, Moses fled into the wilderness, fearing for his life. Elijah fled into the wilderness, fearing for his life. We saw that a few chapters ago. Um, Moses was fed by miraculously by bread that fell down from, from the sky and fed him. Elijah was miraculously fed by bread that was given to him by ravens. It was a miraculous feeding, uh, meat in the evening time, just like uh, the, the, the manna was. He spoke authority of, of the Lord in his own name. You know, he spoke personally and standing up and representing him. So did Moses before Pharaoh. Uh, he gathered all of Israel to Mount Carmel, Elijah did. He gathered all Israel at Mount Sinai, Moses did. So they did that very similarly. Um, uh, he interceded um, uh, on Israel's behalf, and he called upon the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So did Moses. They both did that. Elijah took 12 stones at Mount Carmel, and he, according to the, sons of the uh, tribes of the sons of Jacob, he says, and he builds that altar there. Moses does the same thing. He sets up pillars. He set up these stones at the Jordan, and so they did similar acts there. Uh, the Lord accepted Elijah's offering by sending down fire from heaven, consuming it, consuming the altar, consuming the dirt and the dust and all that. We saw that. And I want to show you this one. Look at Leviticus 9 from Moses. 
So fire comes down from heaven and, and, and takes uh, Elisha's Deuteron, or no, sorry, Leviticus, chapter nine. Huh? Elijah, man, I can't. Elijah, Elijah, Leviticus nine, verse twenty-two says, and, and Aaron lifted up his hand toward the people, and he blessed them, and he came down from offering uh, of the sin offering, and the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of the congregation, and came out and blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. And there came a fire from before the Lord, and consumed upon the altar the burnt offering and the fat, and when, uh, which, when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. And so he's done this for the people of Israel twice. You know, he shows himself to them miraculously on Mount Carmel, but he'd done that earlier uh, here, you know, showing that this was all set up and that it is all acceptable. So you know, he sent down this fire to them. Uh, Elisha's authority, uh, he, he executes his authority over the idolatrous prophets, um, of Jezebel, of Baal, and Ashtaroth. We saw that on Mount Carmel. Moses does that over the idolaters when he comes down off Mount Sinai, that the, all those who rose up to play, he has them killed. Um, after killing the prophets of Baal, Elijah climbed to the mount, top of the mountain, Mount Carmel, to pray. After he kills all the idolaters, Moses climbs to the top of Mount Sinai and prays again, who are these people, what you've done after he's thrown down the Ten Commandments? Um, uh, he went without food. Elisha did for, uh, Elijah did for 40 days and 40 nights. And, Moses, too, had gone without food for 40 days and 40 nights in Exodus 34. Elijah uh, was called or recommissioned out Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai. Moses was called out Mount Horeb, which is Mount Sinai, and so they both called to the same place. Elijah was in a cave on Mount Sinai when the Lord passed by. Moses was in a cave, or at least in a cleft of a rock, as the glory of the Lord passed by. Um, Elijah saw a storm and wind and an earthquake and fire upon Mount Sinai. Moses saw a storm and a wind and an earthquake and a fire upon Mount Zion. And you can look at Exodus 19, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 5. It shows that. Um, they both prayed that they might die. This is too hard. This is too much. This is what you put on us. They both prayed for that. I told them no. <laughs> the Lord brought down fire from heaven upon his enemies. We've seen that in the last week with Elijah. But the Lord brought down fire from heaven upon Moses' enemies. Korah had risen up a group. And uh, they opposed him. And God says, uh, I'll, show you who, <laughs> I'll show you who I'm for. If they die some natural causes, then I'm not in it. If it's some miraculous cause, then I am. The ground opens up and swallows Korah. But he had 250 men that were in his camp that all start to running. And fire comes down and consumes them. Uh, and so that's Leviticus 10 and number 16. You can look at that. Uh, Elijah parted the waters of the Jordan by striking them. Moses parted the waters of the Red Sea just by stretching out his arm. Uh, Elijah's successor uh, serves him faithfully, kind of resembles him in many ways, and parts the Jordan just like he had. Moses' success, successor resembles him in many ways, and he parts the Jordan um, just like he had the Red Sea. Joshua, Joshua, they cross over at the same place as they come into the Promised Land. Um, they both were taken away in the Transjordan area. Uh, at least Elijah was taken away, and uh, Moses dies there. Uh, Elijah is mysteriously translated 
Moses dies mysteriously, is buried in the valley, and we don't know where. God took him and put him away, lest they set up some shrine to him. And so a lot of similarities to go through. And then when you get to Revelation, God's not done. You have two witnesses that do all these same things in the same spirit and power. We have these two who show up on the Mount of Transfiguration and speak to Jesus Christ. You know, so it's very similar. Very in fact, there's a lot of argument about what mountain they are on when that happens, you know, that, that these things occur. And so much in that spirit and that power, and it's something that is coming again and, and told us in the book of Revelation. Uh, I thought I saw your hand. <laughs> but, uh, look at uh, back to uh, 2 Kings. And so he's done this. So there's a lot of similarities between them and a lot of people. You'll hear those uh, thrown out. And, and there is a lot there and probably even more than that. But that's what I could find. But here we are at verse 15. It says, And when the sons of the prophets, in chapter 2, when the sons of the prophets which were to view at Jericho saw him, because these 50 guys come out with him and they were stopped on this side of the Jordan, and they wanted to see what was happening, because you remember all the prophets knew that this was Elijah's last day, you know, somehow. Uh, and they said, the spirit of Elijah uh, does rest upon Elisha, because they see him part the Jordan and come over. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. And so they're acknowledging this transfer of power. Verse uh, 16, and they said unto him, behold now, there be with thy servants 50 strong men. Let them go, we pray thee. And seek thy master, lest prayer venture the Spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or in some valley. And he said, you shall not sin. He's like, I know where he went. It's not like he moved him someplace. It's not like he left him and you have to worry about him starving. Like, oh, I'm on a cliff someplace and I'm going to run out of food. But they're all worried. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that. Verse 17, and when they urged him till he was ashamed, like, what if he's dying up there right now? You know, they just really kept it up. And he's like, fine. Uh, he said, send thy uh, sin. And they sent, therefore, 50 men. And they saw it three days, but they found him not because he went up to be with the Lord. Verse 18, when they came again to him, he tarried at Jericho. And he said unto them, Did I not say unto you, Go not? Kind of like you should listen. Verse 19, And the men of the city said unto Elisha, Behold, I pray thee, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord seeth, but the water is not, and the ground is barren. So they had bad water, and so that's uh, kind of death toward the town. Verse 20, And he said, Bring me a new cruise. And they put salt therein, and they brought it to him. Uh, you don't want salt in your water. That's called brackish. Um, uh, makes you sick, you know, if you get... Lost at sea, you know, water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. It makes you go crazy. <laughs> Here's stories of guys floating on rafts, um, unbreakable. I think he was on the raft for a while in that way. There's a few others I've heard of similar stories. Uh, make you go crazy. You think of a lot of these World War II stories. They have a lot of that that goes on, not to have it. And yet, so it's not what you put in there. You wouldn't put salt in there. So he's like, I'm going to put salt in there because he doesn't do things like we would do them. Uh, verse 21, and he went forth. And to the spring of the waters, and he cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. There shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. So the waters were healed unto this day, according to the saying of Elisha, which he spake. And so it does heal. And it is interesting because, like, salt, you know, uh, that's us, right? That's kind of the cure to the world. You know, we, we're, we're to be salty. You know, where, where you have no good if you've lost your saltiness. You know, you have to cast you on the dung pile. And so we're to be salt and light. We're to, we're to bring that sting. We're to bring this. We're to bring healing to the nations. And so uh, there's, there's some similarities there. Verse 23. What time I got? Okay. It says, And he went up from thence unto Bethel, which is the house of God, but it's not the house of God that we think of. This is in the northern half, and this is where the, um, um, the cow uh, altars were set up. And so it's not the Bethel, the house of God from the south. 
And I believe that they believe this was the north one. And as he was going up by that way, there came forth little children out of the city and mocked him and said unto him, Go up, thou bald head. Go up, thou bald head. And uh, me and little kids. And this is some area where when you read this, it's like, uh, who are these little kids? Why are they doing that? This little kid's mocking. That's usually how this is used. If you're going to be a form, I don't want to serve a God who will destroy a bunch of little kids because that's what happens. You know, a bear comes down and eats a bunch of them. And so it's like, what kind of God would do that to these little kids just because they're making fun of and mocking schoolyard bullies? And what, uh, It depends on what a little kid is. The same word for little kid here is meant uh, when Rehoboam became king and he sought his advisors. Um, you know, they're in their 20s. And these advisors were like, we say tax him twice as hard and make him work twice as hard. You know, they're, they're, that was these guys, these 20-somethings that thought they knew it all. That meant same kid, little kid. Um, there's a few other times. There's a, uh, man, what was their name? I didn't get this far in my notes, but I, I did study it, but I didn't have time to write them out. There's another one. Uh, when um, at one time, one of the other kings was 38, and they called him a little kid. Uh, and there's a few other times where they put it this way. And so it doesn't mean little kid. It means a young man, or a young man in his 20s, your young man, you know, maybe it's kind of like age of accountability. Some, some kids at 38 are still little kids. You know, and so it's just, you know, this is a group in, in this way. And they're saying, go thou up, bald head. It's not like, what, what are they talking about? They're just making fun of him before he's bald. Some think that. But they're also saying, oh, if you think you're such a prophet, because these guys are at the false house of worship. They're at the, uh, the, the, the cow ministry, whatever that is of the cow, this, this, this false place. And so uh, they, um, they're saying, oh, if you are uh, like Elijah, go up. Let's see you go up. Let's see you be translated. Let's see you taken out of here. So they're, they're saying, show it, prove it to us by going up. Um, it's pretty much, uh, we can relate this to us in that the rapture is probably one of the most ridiculed doctrines in the Bible. You know, there's a lot of people, even in the churches today, it becomes... Uh, Left Behind book series come out. It became a very popular one. Everybody got all excited. The rapture didn't happen. Most of the churches are like, well, I don't think the rapture is going to happen then. You know, and so, no, we're not, it's not going to happen. I don't think it's ever going to happen. It's probably already happened. You know, the preterist view, partial preterist view. This has happened in the past. It's not going to be now. Uh, so where are you? Why don't you go up? Why didn't this happen? There's a bunch of mockery because you have like people like Harold Camping who makes all these predictions. 88 reasons he's coming in 88. You know, 2012 reasons for 2012 or whatever his answer was. And they put out all these memes and you can see the internet memes where like, oh, I was mowing my yard and I found this. And they had clothes laid out there pushing the lawnmower and all these mocking things. Kind of like, go on up, Christians. Go on up if you're going to be that way. Let's see you go on up. I wouldn't want to be on this part. These guys mock it and make fun of it. I mean, Elijah was translated. Elijah had gone up in a whirlwind. Uh, Enoch had been taken up. He makes a promise through Paul, and he tells us, I show you a mystery. You, not all, you won't all sleep. Some of you will be taken up in the moment in the twinkling of an eye. The bride of Christ. He's not going to let her, his bride, his cherished bride, the overcomers, you know, go through the tribulation. There was a scary verse we read two weeks ago about Jezebel, you know, those who have let in false teaching that he sends them, throws them into the tribulation. Uh, but I think it's so that we'll get saved. Uh, <clears throat> he says, but uh, no, I'm not going to let you go through there. I'm going to keep you from that hour of testing that comes upon the whole world, it says in uh, Revelation chapter 3. And then, um, and so I, it's, it's a doctrine that is coming. It's a doctrine that you can have. A lot of people are going to be like, well, why should anybody be spared when people have suffered throughout all these years? We all need to suffer too. And these same people would run from suffering every chance they would get, but uh, it's, it's, it's something that the Lord has put in there. It's a promise that he's made that I will keep you from this hour of testing. And yet they mock it, and they make fun of it. And it's, 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 the, it's the fashion thing to mock today. Uh, it's the crazy thing to believe. 
Call me crazy, I believe the Bible. Uh, but uh, he says, go thou up, bald head, go thou up. And so they call us on him. And so these are 20-something guys. This is an organized group. It's not like a little band of kids are just playing and, hey, there's a bald guy. Hey, bald guy, go up the hill. And, and that's kind of how it's been portrayed, and that's how they'll usually portray it on an Internet forum if you're going to get an atheist attacking you. That's not what it is. This is an organized cult. You're going by their place of worship. Oh, there's a prophet of God. Let's make fun of him. Hey, where's the rapture? Why haven't you happened? Why haven't you gone up? You know, why didn't he take you? You know, so they're they're mocking him in this way. Uh, and so he turned back. And there is some interesting numbers here with as far as I think we could put with uh, Enoch. Uh, but verse 24 says, and he and he turned back and he looked on them. And I imagine it wasn't a smile. You know, <laughs> they're making fun of him. They're mocking him. They're they're mocking him for being God's man. And he looks on them and he cursed them. And if you're going to get cursed in the name of the Lord, it is a serious thing. And he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And, and I don't, it doesn't say what he said. He doesn't know anything. But there came forth two she-bears out of the woods. And they always say, you only get in front of between a bear and, mama bear and her cubs. Uh, and they tear 40 and two children of them. There were 50 of them and 42 of them get torn to pieces. kills them. Eight of them are spared. Eight of them were spared in the flood. You know, and so there's, there's some people that, that take some numbers here. There's like Enoch was taken up. There's eight left over that, hey, you guys need to get right. You need to go back and tell this message and, and convert all these people that are in your sect. And so I, there's, there's some people that look at these numbers. I don't know. I haven't looked at them that number that, that long, but he does leave eight of them. Verse 25, and he went from thence to Mount Carmel. And from thence he returned to Samaria. And, and so it's, it's, it's persecution. So it's not, it says little children, but you know, if you look into it, it's... Um, Young men, and it's these young men of a religious cult that are out there mocking him for his belief, and uh, God defends him. Uh, kind of the same thing, that's what's going on in, tri- in the tribulation when you have the two witnesses, people are mocking them, and they're able to call down fire, and they're able to do everything else and defend and establish them. And I imagine that would be some of it. Oh, if you're here, Mr. Prophet, when you're the one in the name of God, why didn't you go up in the tribulation? You know, why are you still here? You know, so you can almost see, or in the, in the rapture, and why are you in the tribulation? So you can almost see... I bet this text really comes alive to some people the latter days as they're here. I hope to be translated and, and going. And so, but that's um, some interesting stuff to read. We'll pick up there next week, and I'll send you out and forth into the rain. So, <laughs> but, uh, don't get struck by lightning. But uh, we'll close in a word of prayer.